In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be seated. When Ed Koch took office as the mayor of New York City in 1978, the city had in many ways faded from what it had been even as recently as the 1950s and 1960s. Now, many of you probably remember Ed Koch, right? He he was something of a phenomenon for the whole country. Well, New Yorkers at that point, this is the late 70s, uh, and it had gotten a little rough. In fact, my father is a New Yorker from many generations back. I had just been born a few years before. My sister, Catherine, was born in 1978, this year, and, and Dad was actually reluctant to take us back to the city because it was, it was a little rough in places, especially some of the, where, where he had grown up. Well, by then, as Mayor Koch is beginning to take office, New Yorkers had by then seen years of hard times, of flight to the suburbs and the loss of treasured neighborhoods. Those boom years were now decades behind them. But oh my, how good those post-war years had been. So good, of course, that the memory of what this city had been, of the home that it had been for so many, of the prosperity and the sense of possibility that had become synonymous with the name New York, the fact that all those seemed to be in the rearview mirror made the current troubles and the hopelessness that much more painful. Mayor Koch, new in his role, was paying an official visit to Coney Island, as one does, which of course in New York was remembered as a place of fun and celebration. But by 1978, it was a blighted boardwalk. Well, an older woman, a lot of people lived there and still do now, uh, an older woman spots him and approaches him. Now, a point of pride for, for Mayor Koch was that he would frequently greet strangers in the city with, hi, how am I doing? So she took him up on that offer. She approaches him during this visit, and she says, Mayor, he says, Mr. Mayor, make it like it was. Mr. Mayor, make it like it was. He replied, Ma'am, I don't think it was quite what you thought it was, but I'll try. Make it like it was. What she was describing was deep, deep loss. Maybe she was talking about the city. Maybe she was talking about where she lived or maybe something that was she was dealing with in her own life. But whatever it is, she had lost something and she looked to Ed Koch to make it like it was. Loss is just so hard. When we lose something, whether it slips away over time, whether it's a relationship that dissolves, or when we lose someone that we love in an instant. It just hurts. And we don't know what to do with ourselves. We cry. We grieve. We get angry. We may react. We may grow, or we may not. 
We want those pieces to fit right back together, but loss usually means that they won't ever fit the same way together again, regardless of how much we try. We all know, of course, that we are going to lose things, and it's going to happen on a timeline not of our choosing. But when it does happen, what does it do to us? What will it do to us? Does it embitter us? Will it make us mad and send us looking for a scapegoat or a champion? When we lose something precious, will we become isolated? Or will we find ourselves held and comforted by God? Will we abandon our faith? Or will our faith begin to take on new layers and perhaps even new colors? Now, I ask this question not as a guru, not as an expert, but rather as someone who is going through this, asking these questions every single day. Many of you who know me know that it's been almost five months since my younger sister Catherine died suddenly, and the pieces aren't going back together again. They, they just aren't. Nor should they, I assume, as any of us who have gone through this or anything similar can know. Now, Greg Farron, who many of you met when he led our Advent retreat last, uh, last December, he recently offered words, though, that helped me. He said, life is hard. For me, he said, the suffering in the world is often so painful, it's overwhelming, and I'm tempted to shut down. For years, I approached my spiritual life as a means of escape from the pain. I thought that if I could cultivate deep inner peace through spiritual practice, I would reach a state of untouchable and permanent inner equanimity. What I realize now is that the journey is not about escaping pain and suffering. We are not immune from loss. We are given no promises from Jesus that if we, we simply say the right prayers and think the good thoughts and do the good deeds that we won't feel pain. And if you have any doubt about that, walk with us through the liturgies of these next few weeks. The services of Holy Week speak deeply of loss, the passion and the crucifixion, the sadness of betrayal, the devastating day when Jesus' companions lose him. And today, we, we start to feel, both in the readings and the music, we start to feel the rumble of what's coming. Almighty God, Grant that among the swift and varied changes of the world, our hearts may be fixed on you. In a world that is swiftly changing, honor the loss that comes with change, but don't be consumed by it. Don't be consumed by it because of what Isaiah tells us. He writes, do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it?
Now, there is some clear hyperbole in this because just one verse earlier, Isaiah reminds us, every, reminds us about, all about the Exodus, which we know well that we are not supposed to forget. So obviously, we're supposed to remember certain things. I don't for a minute plan to forget my sister nor anybody else that I love and have lost. And I'm sure you're the same way. But those days when we were mighty and invulnerable and prosperous and everything was perfect, well, there might have been a little bit of Ed Koch in the prophet Isaiah. Those days might not have been quite what you think they were. In fact, remember what happens to the mighty. Chariot and horse, army and warrior. They cannot rise. They are at the bottom of the sea, extinguished, quenched like a wick. God is about to do a new thing. Do we not perceive it? Perhaps it is hard to imagine a new thing that is being given to us, not by kings or warriors or professional athletes, but the new thing is happening nonetheless. And as Christians, it is our work to be listening for it. We, we are eyes and ears, and we are always looking for that new thing that God is doing in our midst. And I see the contours of this new thing when Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, takes a pound of costly perfume and anoints Jesus. And this is a moment, set the scene. Remember, this is Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead. The, the sense of loss and grief, it still hangs in the air. And anybody who has any sense of what's coming knows that there is, there is something about to change here and we're about to lose something. And yet what does Mary do in that moment? She takes this, this expensive stuff and she anoints Jesus with it. This was audacious. This was over the top. And this was unacceptable to Judas and to presumably others who only saw in this moment the sense of what was being wasted. What was being lost and used up right in front of them? Simply put, if Mary uses it up, is up, uses it up on Jesus, they, they won't have it anymore. It will be something they had, but they once lost. It's Certainly there's a moment of scarcity here, but Judas also can't bear the thought of losing something because he just doesn't want to see that happen. He's clinging to something and he doesn't want to lose it, so he gets all self-righteous about the efficient use of perfume. I mean, who cares? I think we know that this wasn't really about perfume, right? That's how we humans communicate sometimes. We don't actually talk about what's going on. We make our stand on those smaller things where we don't really risk much of ourselves. And I think from time to time, we can all act a little bit like Judas here, and we stockpile the gifts that we've been given in order to insulate ourselves 
against pain and loss. But I think we all know that that's not life. And that's not how it works. Perhaps we can see this story not through Judas's eyes, but through Mary's. This moment, this, this anointing, is an act of pure love and devotion, which is one of the great joys of following Jesus. Right? We learn to pour our hearts out on Jesus. And we learn through that to pour our hearts out onto all of those that we love and to accept that when it's being poured out onto us. For me, the question to ask is, why do we have this good stuff to begin with? In this case, it's a, it's a, it's a vial of costly perfume. But what else is important in our lives? The things we have, our community, but yes, all of these relationships that make us who we are, that make our lives what they are. What are we supposed to do with these things? Well, perhaps the important thing for Mary is not just that she should anoint Jesus with the expensive stuff because that's how much she loved him, though that's beautiful, but also to ask this question, why else do we have this fine perfume except to anoint the Holy One? Why else do we have these gifts of love and relationship? The gift of a God who is, who, who is with us in every step of our lives. Why else do we have these? But to open our hearts and to experience and receive love. Why else do we have these? But to lavish that love on those around us. Why else do we have these gifts? But to build the world that God has envisioned. When we are consumed, though, by, by the former things, as Isaiah warned, we might not see the new things that are happening. Our losses are real, and God sits with us in our grief. God holds us in our tears. Yet when our lives are lived only through the lenses of what we had and lost... We won't see who we have in our midst today. We will not see the new things that are unfolding all around us. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Today we see an image of a new thing. And that, that new thing is not about power or might. It is not about warfare or ego or self-aggrandizement. The new thing can be found in the loving, selfless, and profoundly human act of anointing Jesus with the most expensive perfume money could buy. In the midst of the swift and varied changes of our world, the love that God gives us, the love that we share with one another anchors us to something we can never lose. Amen.